Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. Joining me today is Michael Brody Waite. He is the author of a little book called Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts. And you don't have to, you know, get all nervous about, oh, is this going to be an appropriate episode? Yes, it's going to be an appropriate episode. There's some things that Michael has discovered from his own adventures that will help us to learn how to do our own life better and what this show implies, to live on purpose. Michael, welcome to Live on Purpose Radio. Thanks for having me, dude. I got to hear a little more about the backstory because you've got reasons for knowing what you know. Yeah. So great leaders of like drug addicts. So first let's talk about the drug addict part. So um, Mm -hmm. for me at the age of 23, I had been kicked out of college. I'd been fired from my job. I'd been kicked out of my house. My car had been repossessed. I was throwing up blood. Um, even though this is really sad, it's kind of funny. My doctor said the only thing higher than my liver enzymes was me. And (laughs) yeah, funny joke. But at the end, the only way I could fund my habit was by stealing from my friends. And the only thing keeping me from living on the street was me overstaying my welcome on a buddy's couch. And when I looked at myself in the mirror, I hated who I saw and I was so terribly uncomfortable to be in my own skin. And so every day from the minute I woke up to the minute I passed out at night, I was drinking and I was doing drugs and I was doing anything to get out of my body and out of my life and out of my skin. And I knew that I would not live to see my 30th birthday. Mm. So that's, that's what it was like for me at the end. And we can dig in wherever you want, but like on the other side, great leaders are like drug addicts. So what do I'm talking about when I talk about leadership? I know a thing or two about leadership. My clean date is September 1st, 2002. Uh, I spent eight years working my way up the corporate ladder at a Fortune 50 company where with a drug addict with no college degree, I had 19 direct reports and a $250 million P&L in my 20s. I left that company at the height of the recession here in the US to co-found a startup whose mission was to reinvent access to healthcare. We made it so you could schedule a, a doctor's appointment from a digital device in 30 seconds or less rather than have to make a phone call. And we grew that company and it became an Inc 500 company, grew to 20,000% in less than six years. And we sold it to a publicly traded company. I left that job or that company and I took over a nonprofit that helped 2000 entrepreneurs a year start or grow a business. And I did that for three years. And during my stay there, I tried to take everything that I had learned about leadership. And I did a Ted talk called great leaders do what drug addicts do. And about a year after I did it, it went viral. It's got over 2 million views and about 25 countries. And that inspired me to leave the nonprofit. My work there had been done and write my book because I'm on a mission to revolutionize the rules of leadership. Because when I say great leaders of like drug addicts, I mean two different things. I mean, when I look at the great leaders of our past, I see the general on the battlefield, the CEO in the boardroom. I see people that are fixing and managing and controlling perception 
just like a drug addict does. Yeah. They're doing it to chase the next success, promotion, deal, or whatever, and the addict's doing it to chase the next high. The end game's different, but the behavior is the same. And when I look at the great leaders that are emerging in our present and in our future, I think they will lead with true vulnerability and authenticity. The only type of authenticity that is real when you say, I'm Mike and I'm a drug addict. And the only people in this earth that are systematically trained in how to live that way are addicts in recovery. Interesting. That's my intro. That's so fascinating. You, this is the same guy. You just told us two very, very different stories. Yeah. This guy that's climbing the corporate ladder and knocking it out of the park in terms of building businesses and leaders. And, and this guy who is mooching off of his friend. Yep. Same guy. Same guy. Uh, at the beginning of my TED Talk, I put up a picture of me when I was um, high. Mm-hmm. And you can just see that that person doesn't even want to be alive. And it's hopeless. And I've got like bushy yeah. beard. Long, I mean, I, I didn't get, I was so poor. I couldn't even afford a belt to keep my pants up. I had to use a piece of rope. And for me to be able to go from that guy to what I've had the great honor and privilege of the life that I get to lead. The only thing that I know that is the difference is I, I entered recovery and there's more than one way to recover that I respect, but I entered a 12 step program. And the thing I love about a 12 step program is they gave me a step-by-step idiot proof method Mm. to be able to systematically change who I was. And so now what I'm doing is essentially, I took that system. I applied it to not only my life, but my leadership. I taught my employees how to live that way. And so now I go around the world teaching leaders how to do what drug addicts do in recovery, because it actually makes you a much better leader. And I learned it not because it was expensive. It was just the, you know, the price of my life Mm -hmm. on the line. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's so many different directions we could go with this. When people think that there's no hope and you were at a point where you probably felt that way. I mean, oh, I was trying to kill myself. I was just too scared to do it the fast way. Right. Oh, and how tragic. I mean, so many people are in that position and they don't see that possibly the very characteristics that are driving that addiction could be steered in a direction that could become enormously productive for them and for other people. Yeah. But you don't see it when you're stuck, do you? No, I, the only reason that I went to rehab was because my buddy, so like one of the things that would happen is every, about every month, my dad would take me to breakfast mm-hmm. and he would say he wanted to buy me a meal, but I knew he just wanted to make sure that his son was still alive. Right. Like I, every time I say that, I still feel bad for what I put him through. Um, and he would offer to send me to rehab and I'd be like, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. And, and one of the big challenges was I lit- just see what you said. I literally could not see how life could be different. And the only reason I went to rehab, there, we have a saying, uh, come for the wrong reasons, stay for the right ones. The only reason I went was because I came back to my buddy's apartment that I'd been crashing on his couch. And I told him, and he was like aggressively supporting me in going to rehab. But I could tell it was like, he was tired of me stealing from him, wrecking his place. He wanted me out of his house, but he loved me so much. He wasn't willing to put me on the street. And so when I, when I saw that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to move. So I might as well go somewhere for 28 days where I know I'm going to have a roof over my head and three meals a day. 
And then I'll figure it out after those 28 days. But when I got there and I was surrounded by a bunch of people that were sharing my story, it became almost impossible to ignore that I had a serious problem. But then when other addicts in recovery would come and share their story, I would see myself in them, but they would have a year clean, five years clean, 10 years clean, 30 years clean. I remember there were these two dudes that were like, when they walked in, I was scared of them. They were like these hardcore biker gang, you know, like, I'm like, oh my God, these guys are going to kill us. They must be high on whatever. And they started talking, they're like, Hey, you know, I'm Tim and I've got 15 years clean. And let me tell you about how recovery's changed my life. And I'm like, Whoa, maybe it is possible. And I remember we have a saying, it was the last house on the block. I was going to kill myself if I couldn't figure a way to get clean. And even when I was in rehab, I didn't think I would stay clean, but I at least at some point started to understand that there was the potential, the possibility, because I could see myself in the people that came and shared the message. And that's one of the reasons I go around the world trying to share my message today. It's a powerful message. And so many people need it, but you know what? I think our world needs it too. I'm just thinking, Michael, what if you would have stayed in that place? And, and honestly, we lose a lot of people in that place. They yeah. don't like to stay there. They exit at some point. Yeah. And um, had you done that, we wouldn't have your book. I know. The lives that you've touched would not have been touched, at least not by you. No. I built a company um, that had a game-changing culture. Uh, I have a daughter. I have a son. I have sponsees. Um, the truth is, is that like the book, I have to surrender what it does, but I already have fulfilled my objective with it because one, at least one person has read it and said it changed their life. And that's all I really needed to accomplish. Everything else is gravy. And, and I'm 42 years old. I expect to be dead by 30. So I'm playing with house money. Mm. That's the way I look at my life. But when I look at the things around me and, and, and the thing is that I'm not special. I'm just an addict that has a, a way of communicating a story that people, you know, respond to, but I got like a million addicts behind me that are doing the exact same stuff that I did. And our job collectively is to let the addict that's still suffering know that this is possible. Right. And I was, uh, I was sharing my message last night. Um, I actually did, I did a public speaking engagement for a, a, a university so for a bunch of students, like a paid, you know, I do paid speaking. And then I went to carry my message to just another, uh, to a 12 step home group where a buddy of mine was celebrating 12 years clean. And one of the things that I was just struck by was I know that there had to be a student that was struggling with drug, with drug addiction or some sort of addiction in that other, in that other audience. And I know in my 12 step meeting, there's someone that has a solution and, and our job is to understand and be able to communicate this very simple message. If you are out there and you're struggling with addiction, this is what I'm going to tell you. This is what I said last night to the students. They didn't get it. This is what I said to the addicts and they did get it. The very best thing about me is my addiction. The best thing about me is my addiction because it gives me an excuse to live a principled life in a way where I walk around with a gun pointed at my head. I have unique motivation to practice these principles in all my affairs. And secondly, I have a community of people that do the same because their life is on the line too. And so what I try to tell an addict is don't think about getting clean or sober as a surrender, as a bad thing. I consider it my superpower. Right. Imagine the worst thing about you being the best 
thing about you. That's what happens when a drug addict gets clean. It's like you're succeeding because of this, not despite it. That's, that's my personal message. A lot of addicts uh, stay behind their anonymity and that's fine. But no one ever told me, they always told me, hey, you can, you can let addiction stop impacting your life. No one said that you can be uber successful in all the dimensions of life because you're an addict that gets clean and you have recovery. And so what I want to tell anyone out there that's struggling is if you're an addict, you like to get stuff that makes you feel good. We'll get you some recovery because it's going to give you a superpower and it's going to give you a competitive advantage over the average person. If you commit to that program, that's the message I want to carry. I'm guessing Michael that you feel better now than you ever did when you were high. We have a saying, um, my worst day in recovery is better than my best day using. Yeah. And you so, know yes. the truth of that now. I do. Oh, I love the story. I know that there are principles that have been revealed to you as you've gone through this journey. When we get into the second half, Michael, I'd love to have you highlight a few of those principles for us so we know how this sure. has something to do with leadership, too. Yep, <laughs> yep. You guys, this is Michael Brody Wait at Live On Purpose Radio. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your positivity to a whole new level? I've been enjoying these conversations with my guests at Live On Purpose Radio. My own story about becoming more positive is something that I've shared in my book, Pathological Positivity. And right now, I'm giving the book away. You just pay for the shipping. Go to drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, and click on the big orange button right there that will get you a free copy of my book. You pay the shipping, I'll pay for the book. Sound like a good deal? Power up your positivity and get ready to see phenomenal changes in your happiness, your relationships, your business, every aspect of life. Enjoy this free gift from me, drpauljenkins.com. And we're back. Michael Brody Waite at Live On Purpose Radio today. Uh, there's something, something about this story, Michael, that is so powerful. Uh, and, and thank you for bringing this message to our audience today. I know you've learned some, some principles through all of that, that you've, you've linked up, you know, your experiences in, in uh, the workplace, your experiences as an addict. You're not even separating those. Those are all part of the same grand experience for you. But help us to see what you've discovered in terms of yeah. these principles. So I think, you know, to, in, in today's world, authenticity is a very buzzy term. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, I should be authentic. I should be authentic. I should be authentic. And they aren't, you know, like I'm a Brene Brown fan, just like a lot of other people. But what I learned in recovery was a very practical step-by-step -step system that allowed me to lead myself, my true self and stop hiding. And that's really why I did all the drugs to hide. Right. Right. And so I've done a lot of work. I've worked with companies like Google, Dell, two, I've, surveyed 2000 leaders, I've trained a bunch of people, and I've been able to distill down why recovery from addiction and a step by and a 12 step program is able to transform a regular leader that may not be an addict. And so there are three principles that form this system. So the first one is practice rigorous authenticity, not authenticity, 
Anybody can do selective authenticity. Anybody can keep it real in front of grandma and their best friend. I'm talking about when your job is on the line, when the relationship is on the line, when something is on the line, are you rigorously authentic? Very big difference. That's what we aim for in recovery because we can't, once we start hiding, we have addictive personalities. We start hiding all the time. Right. So we have to be rigorous. We can't just be authentic on Instagram on Thursday and then post something that looks really great on Friday. So that's the first principle. And, and that's the recognition that most people, 90% of people admittedly are not rigorously authentic. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that includes leaders. So how do you actually become rigorously authentic besides being inspired? It's all about the second principle, which is surrender the outcome. This is what most people don't know how to do. We just had an election in this country, regardless of what side you're on, on election day, the only thing you had control over was casting your vote. But how much time and energy did we waste looking at the news, looking at CNN.com, trying to control something that we couldn't control? And so what addicts learn is that they can't control their addiction. So they have to surrender the outcome. And the way that we learn how to surrender the outcome. So like practically speaking, if you are in a business negotiation with a customer, you're worried that if you ask for the price that you want, they will go away. That's the outcome you're worried about. If you're in a relationship with your partner and you guys have a disagreement and you want to ask for something that you need, but you're scared that it will make them go away, you're scared of surrendering the outcome. And so we focus on things that we can't control at the expense of the things that we can. And that's what I want to kind of teach the audience. I'm going to give you guys a really simple tool on what to do. Well, before I do that, here's, here's the goal. It is extremely uncomfortable to admit that you are an addict, but once you are able to do that, you become good at doing what's called uncomfortable work. And that's not smart work or hard work. That's intellectual or physical. We've all seen someone doing eight hours of hard work, avoiding 10 minutes of uncomfortable work. Uncomfortable work is emotional. It's a physical sensation that stops us from taking actions that are good for us. If any of us here have ever avoided a difficult conversation that they knew they needed to have, you know what it's like to let uncomfortable work stop you from being the best you. Addicts, we don't have that chance because we can't hide. We have to be real all the time. We have to be rigorously authentic all the time or else we'll go back to the drugs. So the linchpin in all of this is the, the middle principle, surrender the outcome. I'll stop. I have a little, I have a little tool that people can use to learn how to surrender the outcome, but I'll stop there and see if you have any questions. I am taking notes, Michael. <laughs> what you've just said, I'm, I'm doing a little later today. I'm doing a big parenting web class. Uh, we've got a lot of parents on our YouTube channel who like to follow that. And you're almost point for point talking about what it takes to be an effective parent. Yeah, I'm learning that right now. <laughs> and what's the difference between leadership and parenthood? I mean, honestly, Nothing. there's so much overlap, but being rigorously authentic, love it. it. It's not something that you just do out of convenience or when it's practical or might get you the sale. Right. It, it's got to be, it's got to be real. Well, otherwise it's not authentic, right? Right, right. And then you talk about surrendering the outcome. The wording that I use for that is detach from the outcome. And it's the same concept. If you're so tied up in the outcomes, your anxieties go up. You actually start to do things that are counterproductive. And that's true in parenting. That's true in leadership. It's absolutely true in the context of the addiction that that you've shared with us. 
So I don't know that yeah. I have questions as much as, man, I'm loving this because everything that you're talking to us about as a professional psychologist, I'm thinking, man, that is sound. That is solid. That is based on everything we know about psychology and human relationships. Well, and so thank you for that. And so here's the thing is, this is what I love about being a recovering addict is um, there's a lot of self-help and inspirational stuff out there. Ted talks, podcast books, where, you know, people get inspired by a concept of, Hey, practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome and do uncomfortable work. But the question is, how do you actually practically execute that? How do you actually do it? So let's like, let's use an example. Mm -hmm. So when I got out of treatment, I had to get a job or I was going to get kicked out of my halfway house. And I went and I laid down my application, a bunch of places. I had all these gaps in my resume. I got one interview at a record store. And I knew that if I talked about my gap in my resume, I wouldn't get the job. So the outcome I was worried about was I wasn't going to get the job if I showed who I truly was. Right. And in that instance, if I didn't get the job, I couldn't stay at the halfway house. So I'd be on the street. So extra urgency for me. Mm -hmm. The way a recovering addict, the way my sponsor taught me to approach that is he said, you have to surrender the outcome. And then you have to tell them the truth. Tell them that you are a drug addict that was using. That's why you have gaps in your resume that you went to rehab and you're in a halfway house now. That's I'm like, dude, I can't do that. Yeah, but that's the rigorous authenticity, no matter what. But that, dude, that is scary. Like for anyone listening right now, you might not be a drug addict, but everybody can relate to being in a job interview and, be, and not wanting to share the worst thing about them. Right. So how do you actually reliably and consistently walk through that fear and go do something that most people can't do? And so it all comes down to a really simple tool. Um, and this is what I teach my people. And I'm actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that you teach something almost very similar. So I tell people to take out a piece of paper and write can't control in the top left and can control in the top right and draw mm -hmm. a line down the middle. And so when they think about the outcome, so in this instance, I'm worried about the job, not getting the job. I tell them to write three specific things about the situation that you can't control on the can't control column. Mm -hmm. So for me, I couldn't control that I was an addict. I couldn't control that um, the manager was going to ask me about my work history and I couldn't control how he would respond when I told him my answer. Right. Those are three specific can't controls on the left-hand column. On the right-hand column under the can't control, think of three things that you can control about the situation. Well, I could control how I told him. Mm -hmm. I could control when in the interview I told him. Mm -hmm. And I could control whether or not I was going to start my professional career as a recovering addict under a lie. Those were the things I could control. Right. And so right at this point, a lot of people start nodding their heads and they go, yeah, I get it. I need to let go of the things I can't control. I'm like, yeah, but most people still don't. So what is the right. missing piece? Knowledge is not power. Action is. And so then what I have them do is I have them go look at the first thing in the can't control column and read it and then put an X through it and then read the second one, put an X through it, read the third one, put an X through it all in the can't control column. And as you do that, you're engaging your body and your mind in physically releasing the outcome that you are scared of. And then you go to the can control column and you circle the first one. You read it. I can control this. I can control this. You circle all three. And by the time you are done, you're not thinking about the outcome. You're not thinking about what you can't control. You're aware of at least three things that you can. And that is where you would then identify what your uncomfortable work is. And for me, my uncomfortable work was simply to tell the manager that I was a drug addict and why I had a gap in my resume. Mm -hmm. And I did, and I still got the job. 
And that's why I'm convinced that people hide themselves out of fear of the outcome unnecessarily. And that's why I'm on a mission to show people how to do it in a practical way. You put yourself in the position of the person who's hiring you in this circumstance. And what do they truly value? As you're talking about this rigorous authenticity, okay, do you want someone working for you who's truthful and authentic or someone who's fake and phony and yeah. lying? Okay, yeah. that's I huge, mean, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, and from a, from a business perspective, a lot of the people I talk to are either, they either are coming back from like, uh, you know, prison time or something bad, or they're brand new to the workforce. Yeah. And you know what your value to someone who's hiring you is your ability to be coachable. Well, guess what? If you demonstrate that you can be rigorously authentic, you're coachable. And if you demonstrate that you hide yourself, you're not. And so by hiding yourself to look good, you're actually showing the person that you don't have what it takes to be a successful employee. Nobody wants an employee that lies. Nobody wants an employee that says, I know how to do this when they don't. Nobody wants that. I also want employees who are going to focus on what they can control, not what they can't. Yes. These are life hacks. Yes. They're also really sound advice for success in leadership, in parenting, in business. And, and big surprise, who is it that's engaging in those activities? It's a human. It's a person. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so as we identify these, these life hacks that allow us to live on purpose, that's the theme of our whole show here. It, it changes everything. It's a transformation. And I'm going back to something you said earlier, Michael, because I don't think, I don't think you became a different person. I think you figured out how to drive the one that you are. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, I cover, I, I took all of the things that were covering up my true self mm -hmm. and I was able to systematically remove them. And then I was also able to see who I truly was and then use this process to become the person I wanted to be and, and grow in the areas I needed to grow. I didn't start off being a good father. I, I had to learn how to, you know, be, a, we'll, we'll ask my daughter if I'm actually a good father, but we're we'll, still working but, on that, right? Yeah. Still work in progress. But like people, you know, when I'm going around, I'm talking to people, they'll say, okay, so how do I know who my true self is? And I'll tell them, I don't know. And I don't know who my tr true self is either. The way you identify your true self is you systematically identify all the moments in when you're not being your true self. I know when I'm not being true to me. I know that if I was to tell that person to Sam Goody at the record store that I'm, that I'm not an addict, I know I'm not being true. And by catching myself where I'm hiding myself time and time again, you start to really uncover who you truly are. Right. And you can tell by how it feels inside of your skin. Literally in your body. Yeah. Like it's, it's a wow. sense of tingling sensation in the middle of my gut when it's a knowing. And when it's, when I'm hiding myself, it is a like rapid heartbeat or breathing in the high, high part of my chest. My body literally is an indicator that lets me know if I'm pretending to be someone I'm not. So the book is great leaders live like drug addicts. And you've got a little insight to that folks, as we've talked to Michael Brody Waite today here at live on purpose radio. I know from my experience, Michael, that there are people who are hearing this, who will feel to reach out to you uh, to connect to your book. Where's the best place for them to go so that they can do that. Sure. If you want the book, 
just go to greatleaderbook.com, greatleaderbook.com. Greatleaderbook.com. And you can, we're on, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all this other kind of stuff. And there's some information and you can get, actually, if you go to greatleaderbook.com, you can get a 30 minute intro to the book. I read, I'm the narrator uh, for free. If you just give us your email. Um, and then if you just want to learn more about my story and how these three principles are changing the lives of others and how it could potentially change a life for you, uh, you can also just go to michaelbrodyweight.com. That's B-R-O-D-Y-W-A-I-T-E. So michaelbrodyweight.com. You can also Google me. No one else has that jacked up last name. So if you put it in Google, it'll come to me. Um, that's the one benefit of having that name. They'll but, fight you. Yeah, yes. Michael doesn't help you so much, but then the Brody Weight part. The Brody Weight, yes. The Michael did not. Uh, I grew up in the era of Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson. Yeah, yep. Michael Mann, you name it. But uh, the Brody Weight helps. <laughs> Awesome. The website, once again, Michael Brody, B-R-O-D-Y, wait, W-A-I-T-E. There's a dot com after that. The book is Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts. Michael, thank you so much for contributing today here at Live on Purpose Radio. Thank you for having me, man. It's time for all of us. I know you've been inspired like I have. Let's act on that inspiration. It's time for us to go live on purpose. Purpose.